In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We give thanks to God the Father who hath made us worthy to be partakers of the lot of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of His love. It is important every year to consider why this feast was instituted in our time. The purpose of this feast must be somewhat distinguished from the notion of Christ the King which we find on the last Sunday of the liturgical year at the end of November. This is when we honor Christ as our King and judge at the end of time. But Pope Pius XI, in instituting this feast in the 1920s and declaring that it should always be celebrated before All Saints Day, wished to make clear that we must pray and work for the establishment of the social reign of Christ the King here and now. For that holy pontiff declared that all the manifold evils in the world are due to the fact that the majority of men have thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of their lives, and that these things no longer have any place in private affairs or in politics, and that as long as individuals and states refuse to submit to the rule of our Savior, there can be no really hopeful prospect of lasting peace among nations. For all men must look for the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. Last week, I had much to say to you about Americanism. Today, I want to begin by making one thing clear to you. There ain't no doubt I love this land. I stand for my flag and kneel for my God. And I will be voting ten days from now, if not earlier. I don't tell you from the pulpit for whom you must vote. I tell you that there are candidates running for office whose principles and policies are so violently opposed to church teaching that no Catholic can, in good conscience, vote for them. In nearly all cases, they are opposed by other candidates, good but imperfect men and women, like you and me, for whom any Catholic may make the prudential decision to cast his ballot. For many of you young people, this November is your first chance to vote 
You may be thinking, I don't know, I'm not a liberal, but I'm not a conservative either. If so, guess what? I don't like these terms any more than you do. I long for the day when we will stop dividing our political spectrum into right-wing and left-wing. How could any Catholic be satisfied with this? These terms come to us from the vile and satanic French Revolution. The left-wing favored destroying all that was good, and the right-wing, in the end, favored a sort of truth with the forces of evil. No, we are not just opposed to Americanism. We are opposed to the whole idea of the modern state, for it leads sooner or later to degrading materialism and totalitarianism. The Middle Ages were superior to our time. They were filled with sinful men who failed to live up to the godly principles of that time. But I'll take that any day over a world where ungodly men live up to ungodly principles. But we must live in this world of ours. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us today that his kingdom is not of this world, but it is in this world. And so, as good Catholics, we must exercise the virtue of prudence and understand that here in our own nation, which acknowledges no worldly king, but is capable one day of acknowledging Christ as its king, we must not simply consider whether it is good and true, but rather what good, what truth is to be found here. And there is plenty. Our United States Constitution declares no man shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. You may well ask whether this principle in the Bill of Rights is still respected today. Nevertheless, with these words, we Catholics certainly have no quarrel. For life, liberty, and property are indeed God-given rights. God alone is the author of life and death. He is our creator, and he has decreed who will be procreated in this world, which is why honoring the right to life includes honoring true marriage between one man and one woman, and that alone. And yes, we believe in liberty. If we understand that glorious word in its Catholic tradition, that is not simply the human capacity to choose one thing or another, but rather the God-given ability to choose 
what is good. So that in the Declaration of Independence, when the idea is added of the right to the pursuit of happiness, even this we may understand certainly in a Catholic sense of the right to pursue God himself. Finally, property we understand from Holy Writ itself to be a God-given right. And that without upholding this right, we cannot uphold the virtue of justice itself. To consider a second idea, as we enter this month of November, our Constitution states all powers not specifically granted to Congress are reserved to the states or to the people. Many of you might not be fully aware of this, but this principle, that is, limited government, is church teaching. Specifically, what the church refers to as the principle of subsidiarity. That is, when it has been prudently determined that the government should interfere in the affairs of men to uphold justice and further the common good, it should always begin by doing so at the local level. State, provincial, national government should become involved only if absolutely necessary. A final principle, which I remind you of today, is that which you might think is to be found in the First Amendment of our Bill of Rights. The Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or the free exercise thereof. We are all familiar with the principle of religious liberty. First of all, we must affirm with most of our countrymen that no one can ever be forced to embrace a religion. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, wishes to submit all men to a sweet and gentle rule. He wishes to draw all men to him with the bonds of love and not of violence. No man can ever be forced to embrace a religion, the true one or a false one. But we do well to remember that religious liberty is in the end a right of God and not a right of man. Speaking in Catholic terms, religious liberty is not simply the freedom of a person to believe and practice whatever he wishes. It is God's right to be worshipped in the way he has decreed. Consider this first stand for religious liberty 
which we find in the Old Testament. Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. This is my message to you on behalf of the Lord God. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. In the desert of this world, as we await the final coming of Christ in his glory, we must never forget God's right to be worshipped by us in the one true religion, outside of which there is no salvation. This does not mean that in a just society we cannot tolerate erroneous opinions or allow others for the sake of peace and harmony to embrace their own opinions, even if they are in conflict with our own. But as Catholics we must never lose sight of the fact that our goal in living in such a free society for which we are eternally thankful is to bring others by gentleness and love to the truth of the gospel. For what is this kingdom of Christ for which we are laboring here and now? Yes, it's a ballot box, but more importantly, in our lives as Christians and in our prayer life. The Council of Trent speaks of this kingdom of Christ as nothing other than that very first grace we receive, the grace of justification, whereby we are transferred from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of Love. And this transfer from darkness to Christ's kingdom occurs, says that Holy Council, only through baptism or the desire to receive that Holy Sacrament. Only a few months ago, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI remarked the difference, sadly, between missionary work today and that which we found 400 years ago was that the missionaries of 400 years ago were animated by the belief that by God's dispensation, the salvation of those they would meet depended on their missionary work. That the people they were going to meet on their missions needed to be baptized in order to be saved. If we replace this idea with that of mere dialogue, it is no wonder that the kingdom of Christ is not being established here on earth. I do not tell you that you must vote on election day. I've already told you that I am voting and that certainly you cannot say that it is wrong for any Catholic to vote. However, what I do strongly encourage you to do is pray every day, but certainly on election day. That is why this year, as we have done in past election cycles, we will have all-day adoration on election day. At the very least, please come and take some time 
to pray. Consider always those beautiful words of St. Bernard, thinking and calling to mind those words of St. Paul, that we have faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity. So too, he says, we have words, good example, and prayer. But the greatest of these is prayer. If this is true for our spiritual life in general, how much truer must it be for all political affairs? We always have prayer. Our prayers can indeed bring this nation to its knees in worship of its one true King, our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be all glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.